0: feeling about this. It wasn't funny, man. What have we done? What are you looking at, butthead? some coffee, Hey guys, welcome to another wonderful episode of Cinephile Saturdays. This episode is brought to you by Pyre Gaming Performance Supplements and hashtag RazorStreamer. If you enjoy this episode head on over to nerdcon1.com today creature features all right guys gals everything in between freaks monsters and alien creatures Uh, (laughs) so today we're gonna be talking about creature features uh, those fun lovable horror movies where monsters run rampant God, I just, I love Creature Features It's a kind of summer tradition with me and my wife That we just go all out with them We've been kind of lacking a little bit this year Thanks, COVID uh, Just haven't been feeling up to it, really But, uh, you know, it's never too late it's Still summer, right? So, let's get into this Today we'll be breaking down my top 10 recommended Creature Features If you disagree with them, go fuck yourself um, It's my choice Deal with it just disagree with them, <laughs> go fuck yourself Um, my choice Is that, where was that? That was you. That was you telling yourself to go fuck yourself. Oh, man, I did... Oh, this is crazy Inception shit. I like this. Oh, that was fun. All right, so today we're going to be starting off with one of the greatest creature features of all time. Again, if I disagree... I know how to talk. Don't disagree with me. (laughs) Oh, sorry. I'm uppity today, guys. I just want to be a bitch. It's okay. Um, So, Jaws from 1975, the uh, Steven Spielberg opus classic... I don't really know what opus means, but it sounds like a fun word, so I'll just throw it out there. Sorry. Um, Hey, Nick, can we get the light on this down a little bit? Every time I look away, I have, like, yeah, I get this circle here, and then I can't quite. Oh, that's perfect. Okay, there we go. All right, so Jaws from 1975, directed by the amazing Steven Spielberg, starring uh, Roy Scheider as uh, Chief Brody, rest in peace. Uh, a couple of his uh, movies uh, to mention uh, The Punisher uh, Falling Through The Peacekeeper and All That Jazz Uh, Robert Shaw who played Quint also rest in peace uh, from The Deep the original taking of Pelham 123 from Russia with Love and The Sting and the godly Richard Dreyfus from Close Encounters of the Third Kind American Graffiti Asher and Weeds I know he really wasn't on that lot but the guy does a lot of cameo stuff because it's Richard fucking Dreyfus. so You know, we just kind of let him do what he wants. The guy's amazing. Um, So, this movie definitely is my number one and one of my favorites of all time for creature features. Gets a 10 out of 10 instantly for being just... There's not words I can form that would properly... Put into how amazing this movie is to me it terrified me of the toilet and the swimming pool as a child forever because the most irrational rational fear is a shark is going to kill me in my swimming pool kids you know but uh so it's about uh Amity Island in New York um, nice little getaway beach town like much of New England tourists all the time Uh, except this summer they decide that, uh, killer shark's just gonna pop up and start taking out swimmers and children, and the town decides that the tourism price and money is better than, you know, people's lives, so they don't shut down the beach, everything goes to chaos, and, uh, hold on, I think I got a mustache hair poking me in my nose. That was distracting as hell. Um, so, you know, everybody gets eaten, they try to go take out the shark, and, you know, it's from 1975. I think we've seen it by now. I don't need to rattle on too much about it. So, um... A lot of the fun tension between, um... Hooper and Quint was brought upon by the fact that, um... Richard Dreyfus and Robert Shaw absolutely hated each other. Couldn't stand each other. Barely spoke when they weren't filming. Great on-screen chemistry right there. It really leads into it. And, um... So one of the, the, one of the stars in it was a child, um, Jeffrey Voorhees. He played Alex Kittner, um, which I met him recently uh, last year at this uh, horror convention me and my wife used to attend. I say used to because it uh, shut down after their 15th anniversary, which was very depressing. But uh, I met Alex Kittner. I got him to sign my uh, Jaws Funko reaction figure, Uh, that had the tank stuck in its mouth and um, found out that he actually has a Jaws themed restaurant uh, up in Maine he actually jogs down the beach that he was killed on almost every day in the summer with his dogs Uh, such a great guy to meet but I bring this up because the Alex Kittner death scene in the original Jaws I think to this day still holds up as one of the uh, things fall and you have to secure them one of the goriest scenes well one of the just most brutal scenes in you know horror and creature feature I mean the kid was just mauled to shit on that raft blood bits everywhere Um, and uh, finding out you know in recent years since they released a a couple stills from it actually that it was much more violent originally to begin with and they actually had to cut a lot of it because of how brutal it was and didn't the kid almost get injured because he was strapped to a board thing to go... Oh, no, that was the girl. Yeah, that the was beginning. the girl she in the beginning of, of the movie. The I yeah. actually met her, too. Did you? Yeah, I met her at uh, Rhode she Island Comic Con. She back, didn't she? Um, no, but she smacked in the... They sm- She actually smacked in uh, to the... um, the What the hell are those things called? The hydraulic board that was pushing no, her. No, 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 no. The, the stupid thing she was clinging to, that mooring. Oh. You know, the, the, the mooring marker. Yeah. Um... Yeah, she smacked into that a couple times and I think she got um a slight concussion. Oh, okay. Yeah. But um yeah, she's nice. She was actually uh she's pretty old now, obviously, cuz you know, she was in her like 30s then, but um she had this um shark this like foam shark head thing that I put over to take a couple pictures and pretended I was Jaws attacking her. And, you know, like, her handlers were just like, hey, do you want to do that? And I'm just like, absolutely I do. <laughs> yeah, I met her, uh... <clears throat> I was walking on Rhode Island Comic-Con, and uh, my wife Christina was in line with Krista to go meet Christina Ricci for a professional photo op because c- they split the cost. Um, and uh, I was just walking around killing time because the lines were just this chaotic sea of people just all blended into all these different photo ops and they were running like an hour and a half behind on all times because it was just oh man I'm not going to get into that I could fill a whole hour of why Rodan Comic Con fucked up the pro photo ops last year and Krista will definitely agree with me Um, so I was just walking around and I saw her booth randomly and I was just like oh my god I gotta get this for Christina because I think my wife might be a bigger Jaws fan than I am she is even though I love it. Um, so, according to John Williams, who scored the film, scoring the films actually jump started his career because then after that he got Star Wars and everything. Yeah, uh, George Lucas got the recommendation from Steven Spielberg. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, which, man, just. Man, John Williams and Steven Spielberg, I gotta say, like, when them and him and George Lucas, when they work together, magic is made. I mean, not to say that, like, John Williams, that man just touches sheet music and pours out gold. Like, there's things you wouldn't even imagine he scored. He scored. I remember me and uh, um, me and Christina were just talking about one day when we were watching one of the Jaws movies, and uh, I was just like, you know, she's like, did he do this movie? I'm like... Yeah, of course he did. She's like, "Oh wow!" I'm like, "Yeah, it was like one of his first in his careers." He actually did the score for Star Wars: Galaxy's Edge. Did he? Yeah. So oh, you, wonderful! That's the point is, is when you go, every corner is a movie moment. So obviously, you're gonna have a cinematic experience. Experience, yeah. with music as well. So ooh, yeah, ooh, yeah. that's cool. That's cool. I like that. I like that. Okay, so like all wonderful, like key lines in any movie. You're Gonna Need a Bigger Boat was ad-libbed by Roy Scheider. Scheider? Scheider, yeah. I always think it's Snyder, but then there's not an N in there, and I, like, you know, I gotta always question myself, because yeah. But, I mean, it's hilarious how, like, these, like, just triumphant lines, these memorable lines from movies are just like, oh, I'm just gonna say this for the shit of it. No one wrote it, and it was just like, hey, that's gonna be a great idea. It was just like, yep. Yep, so that's it. So... Jaws has a special title uh, being the first summer blockbuster movie. Did you know that, Nick? 65 million people went to see Jaws when it opened. Yep, yep. So that, uh, they termed it, you know, that's when the term blockbuster uh, really first came about. So, I mean, look at that, a lot of firsts. John Williams getting kicked out there, and man, God, I just gotta say, John Williams, I love everything that man touches. Him and Danny Elfman are two of my favorite um, composers. And it's just, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And uh, okay, so I want to finish up this movie with a pretty well-known fact, but I just like it. Um, When Hooper is down in the cage trying to stick Jaws with a thing and there's a shark that doesn't look exactly like Jaws or as big as Jaws is attacking the cage that he's in and he has to escape from it. That was an actual shark that just decided to wander over and ended up attacking the cage. So Richard Dreyfuss had to escape basically for his life to get the hell out of there so they could keep going. And Steven Spielberg found the footage so amazing, it was, that he kept it into the actual film. Good call, because, you know, it's little moments like that. Um, The ad-libs, the accidental moments, the things that just happen by chance. That's what makes a movie gold. When you know that just something needs to keep going. And that really proves a great director right there. Um, alright, so, we're going to move on to, I know, I'm like almost doing it in order of, like, how I like it today. Wait, what the hell? Wait, before you get off of Jaws, there's yeah. another fun fact. During filming, a female was found dead on the beach missing her hand. Yes And she was actually seen in I believe it was one to two of the scenes in the movie Yeah, she was but in a background scene it's is still not They don't know who she clear. is yeah. I saw her in one of the scenes Yeah, it's, it's a little yeah. Black Dahlia incident there Yeah, yeah Yeah, and they're not sure if like She was They think it was a mur- uh, homicide But Yeah, it's just one of those cold cases that never went anywhere Yeah You know Dude, She just could have been a random tourist down there For who the hell knows, man um, Alright, so we're going to move on to The Thing from 1982, directed by John Carpenter. My boy. Uh, we'll be getting into John Carpenter in later episodes, don't worry. Uh, starring Kurt Russell as McReady, uh, notably from Escape from LA, The Hateful Eight, Tango and Cash, and Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Uh, the tremendous Keith David as Childs from They Live, Armageddon, Darkness, uh, I'm sorry, Princess and the Fog, and Pitch Black. Uh, man, it's... I wish I could read my own handwriting. Uh, and also Wilford Brimley, rest in peace, who just passed away on August 1st last month, uh, who played Dr. Blair, most notably from Cocoon, Hard Target, The Firm, and Death Valley. Um, so this movie is about... Uh, in Antarctica, they find... Uh, there, there's this little um, like research... Uh, facility and they end up finding this um weird creature species thing uh tucked in ice and they bring it back they end up uh you know it ends up being defrosted accidentally and then chaos ensues as this thing starts killing off everybody and just this classic case of you know who actually is the creature because it can uh turn itself into other people but it um can't replicate um like if somebody has like fillings or like a steel hip or something replacement they can't replace they can't replicate that um and then uh and what did they do with the blood there was something like testing for the the blood when they shot something into it there's this reaction where the blood like like popped up i think it was when they touched like fire to it or something um Yeah, Steve's a cinephile fanatic, but I can't remember every detail of every single movie I watch. If you knew how much shit I watched on a yearly basis, it's disgusting. Um, (laughs) But uh, so the movie was a benchmark in special makeup effects, Um, literally, like, renowned for that, Uh, thanks to Rob or botten. I'm not sure exactly how to pronounce his last name B-O-T-T-I-N If anybody wants to comment in on how wrong I might be on that Go right ahead, please correct me um, But he was only 22 when he did the movie And still to this day, he's renowned for what he did in that um, I gotta say, um, it's really up there Um for Creature Features for me just based on how amazing... Like, when they say benchmark for special effects, they aren't joking. The practical effects in this movie hold up even to this day. For 1982, it was ungodly amazing what they did with real effects and no CGI. Uh, Every year I watch this, I'm still astounded at how frightening and realistic and creepy everything came off. Just the whole cronenberg type monster aspect of it is just i love cronenberg shit so we'll be getting to that soon don't worry um but yeah um a real big favorite scene for me in the movie is when uh one of the dogs is taken over and it starts just like shooting out all these tentacles sucking in all the dogs and when they come in to like blow it away with a giant fucking flamethrower it's just this giant mass of like weird freaky dog heads and tentacles and all kinds of fucked up shit just it it is un you just can't describe what this goddamn thing looks like and it is horrifying in every aspect bravo to rob botten and the entire special effects team on this one You, you 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 set the bar you set the bar um so this movie has a a weird little thing it was um John Carpenter's uh favorite film that he ever did and the first film that he didn't personally do the score to I never knew that I was always impressed by the score when I was a kid and I always just assumed it was John Carpenter because it really just was John Carpenter-esque. I forget who they ended up doing it, but he picked somebody when he decided he didn't want to do it, and then that person like got sick or something, so they had to bump it off to somebody else. Um, this isn't really too fun of a fact, but I found out that it actually opened the same day as Blade Runner. Uh, so that's just a cool one, because they also kind of share, you know, besides the whole like sci-fi aspect, they also were both poorly received when they first came into theaters and then went on to become just timeless classics and popular upon release of VHS back then. Oh, what a fucked up word to say. Shitty quality. Oh, I'm bumping the water around and almost fell. Whatever. Um, so we're all fans of the X-Files, right? Everyone should be fans of the X-Files. You like sci-fi, you like the X-Files. If you don't, fuck off. Um, so the X-Files season one, uh, I believe it was called Ice, is a direct homage to this film, um, which was also banned in Finland When it was released I'm not uh, I didn't look into why But um, Yeah that's a, that's a fun one So um, I'm going to give The Thing here a 9 out of 10 um, Jaws just has a special place in my heart Is one of the early creature features Like one of the earliest So that one's always going to be there But uh, giving The Thing a 9 out of 10 Was a hard call But uh, it's just because it's not my favorite personally but it should be yours so uh we're gonna take a quick break to hear from our sponsors now it's some cool shit listen buy their stuff This episode is sponsored by MyPyre Gamer Performance Energy Drink. Pyre was created with gamers in mind to improve performance and keep you healthy. Power, precision, performance, Pyre. And now, if you are a listener of NerdCon1, you can get a 10% discount. Just go to MyPyre.com forward slash discount forward slash NerdCon1, or you can go to MyPyre.com and enter code NerdCon1. Eye contact. Hey guys, and we're back. Yeah, that's gonna be an ongoing joke that's just gonna happen forever now because I have poor humor and if it amuses me, it's good enough. So find me corny all you want, I don't give a fuck, it's not gonna stop. I'm sure my glowing personality is half the reason you guys watch this shit anyways. You know, I'm fun. I'm fun. Nick, I'm fun. I'm fun. So we're going to move on to another timeless classic, Jurassic Park, the original from 1991, also directed by Steven Spielberg. This guy just knows creatures. It works. It works. Uh, So uh, this movie, uh, 9 out of 10 for me. Still just an amazing movie, pretty flawless, but not entirely perfect. Not entirely perfect. Needed more dinosaurs. There was only 15 minutes of actual dinosaur time. Like, total of them on screen, the whole movie. I know, it doesn't seem like that, right? Because those scenes are so, like, large and epic that that's what you remember. You don't remember them driving around for 20 fucking minutes in the movie looking at shit piles. Well, you kind of remember that one, because who doesn't use the gif of Jeff Goldblum looking at a giant pile of shit? I like when he's... Oh, God. (laughs) Ugh. Okay, so the movie was starring uh, Sam Neill as Dr. Alan Grant, uh, notably from Event Horizon, Bicentennial Man, Thor Ragnarok, and the M- Mouth of Madness. See, my handwriting is that bad. I have to question what I know what name of a movie is. Uh, Laura Dern as Ellie from Blue Velvet, F is for Family, The Last Jedi, and The Founder. And Jeff Goldblum as uh, Ian Malcolm from The Fly, Independence Day, Thor Ragnarok as well, and The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. Um... So I'm pretty sure we all know the plot of the movie. A crazy rich guy, clones dinosaurs, opens up a park that's like, hey, come check out my dinosaur zoo. Nothing could go wrong. And you know, the backers, the insurance, uh, the insurance investors are gonna back out if he doesn't get a bunch of experts to sign off on it and be like, hey, this place possibly can't go wrong. Enter in Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum. Uh, So, fun fact, Harrison Ford was originally offered... He was the first person offered the role of Dr. Alan Grant, which uh, he turned down because he felt that the role wasn't right for him. And later after the movie premiered and he saw it, he remarked that he knew he made the good choice. Fuck you, Harrison Ford. It's a good movie. Not everything can be the Air Force One asshole. <laughs> uh, I love Harrison Ford. But, um... So, uh, here's a fun one for you, Nick. Uh, Michael Crichton, who wrote the uh, movie, or well, wrote the book, right? Do you know how he decided to plan Dr. Hammond's character? I want this guy to be a dark Walt Disney. And I think it worked. I think it worked. I mean, he was cheerful, but like... You don't go to, uh, you know, Disneyland and expect Itchy and Scratchy Land to have all the animatronics come alive and kill you. You know, you go there for a good time. So, I mean, I want to go to Jurassic Park. Did you know in 2000, uh, fuck, I think it was 2015, they actually found remains from a T-Rex of red blood cells and intact skin tissue? Yeah. Please fucking don't clone dinosaurs. They were thinking about it yeah disclaimer don't clone dinosaurs there is five fucking movies of why you should not clone dinosaurs almost six almost six movies of why you shouldn't clone dinosaurs that's like at least like 12 hours at least of time of explaining why you should not like do we need to have Jeff Goldblum just like film videos of why you shouldn't do this God, don't clone fucking dinosaurs, man. So you know when the uh, T-Rex is attacking and he's knocking the uh, kids in the um, jeep over the cliff and trying to get them and stuff, and Sam Neill runs out and is like waving the flares all around. You know he actually like burned a chunk of his flesh off doing that. Uh, some of the phosphorus fell underneath his watch and literally took away like a whole like like dude like a divot. He had a he's gonna divot. Yeah, that's a great uh, momentum from your film yeah dude so it's just like you know that panic on his face might have been real you know because actors like that they don't cut they don't cut you shouldn't cut always cut um so this uh, Universal wanted to make this into a movie so bad because they had so much faith in it that they literally started pre-production um in the book the movie came the book came out in 90 the movie came out in 93 but pre-production for the movie started in 1989 before the book even came out using uh, the novel's manuscript that Crichton wrote and i think that he if i remember right he quoted saying that there was only about 15% of the actual move, uh, novel in the movie so I mean, either way, I've read the book. It's great. I've read the... I've read two of the books. And I've, I I liked both of them. I really need to get those again, because who knows where the hell those went. Um, so, you know in the beginning, about uh, 20, 25 minutes in, where they have that little video with the weird little talking DNA strand, right? That was Steven Spielberg's... Um, cheap, easy way to basically get the entire plot of the book and you know all that info in real quick without having to go through all of it in the script. Fun fact I actually used that idea in college for a IT class. The little DNA thing? Yeah so my presentation ah. I was actually talking to myself well just the, the idea of the clip I was talking to myself on screen to do the presentation. That's fun. Yeah it was a I've, lot I've, of fun. See, I've seen some stuff. It like took that. a long time to get my timing correct. Oh yeah but it was a lot of fun. Do you think that Steven Spielberg ripped off that thing from Clippy on Microsoft? A little bit. <laughs> you a little talking thing? With I mean, the eyes. Yeah, yeah, the eyes I see, I, I mean, at that point... I mean, it was a more fleshed-out, yeah. you know, version DNA of it. Did the DNA strand move when he was, like, moving around and talking Yeah, yeah. Did, yeah. No, he, like, bounced around and moved and oh, stuff. Thought, yeah, and the yeah. DNA, like, worked like it would, like, going in circles, doesn't so he? Yeah, he was that perfect little DNA strand. That was always fun. All right, ladies and gentlemen, moving on. I don't know if I said this movie was... not Yeah, it was a 9 out of 10. Okay. All right, so we're going to be scooting our boot on over here to Eight-Legged Freaks from 2002. I mean, all these classics and then a shit one like that. I am personal friends with the kid in that movie. My dad's best friend's son, Scott Tara. Oh, man, did you know that he played, um... Daredevil? Yeah, Young Daredevil. And he was in Motocross. He was the little kid that always fixed the dirt bikes on Disney Channel. Oh, shit. Yeah. That was a fun movie. Yeah. And then I he was, was a child show act, actor before that. I don't remember that, but... Yeah, I, he's I cool, man. I, li- I liked him. He was he was good. He was good in this movie. But, uh... So, yeah, I'm gonna give this one, uh... Directed by... Ellery... Alcum? I'm fucking that up, but that is a weird one. E L L O R Y E L K A Y M Ellery LKm Elkium? Either way, so um, starring David Arquette as Chris McCormick, uh, notably from Scream, Ready to Rumble, Never Been Kissed, and Bone Tomahawk, uh, Carrie Wurr, Wurrer W U H R E R. I'm trying my best here these are really out there as Chief Sam and Scarlett Johansson as Ashley Parker Chief Sam's daughter um Carrie's from Anaconda Thinner Batman Gotham by Gaslight Sharknado 2 ScarJo, most notably from Jojo Rabbit Adventures, Ghost in the Shell and Isle of Dogs um yeah so did you know that also this Carrie chick as well as uh the kid you know and Scarlett Johansson they all went on to do Marvel stuff Yeah, Carrie voices Maria Hill in uh, Avengers Assemble, the cartoon. Yeah. Um, okay, so there wasn't really that many fun facts I could find about this movie. Most of it was what guns the cops used and what cars people drove. Who the fuck thinks that's a fun fact? I don't give a shit if it's a Ford 85 fucking Wing Star. I know that's not a car or the right one, but I'm just making fun of this dumbass trivia I found. Um... So the original name for it was Iraq Attack, um, until, uh, David Arquette said something about, uh, them being eight-legged freaks, he made a reference of that in the movie when they were filming, so they decided, hey, let's call it Eight-Legged Freaks. Um, I remember seeing this movie, uh, as a kid in movie theaters, um, I was a big fan of David Arquette back then until I learned he was a human douche nozzle, um, But I still like his movies But I guess as a person he kind of sucks But I've never met him or anything So I can't 100% say Um, I have met people he's worked with Um, so the movie only took 40 days to shoot Uh, I mean it makes sense There wasn't a whole lot to it Not a whole lot of Different scenery and stuff Um, Dougie Doug From Cool Runnings was in it As this crazy conspiracy guy I was really happy about that Loved him Um, he played, uh, damn, forgot his character's name in Cool Runnings. I haven't seen that movie in a while. But, uh, someone comment what it was. Because I ain't looking it up right now. Um, so, I give this movie a 6 out of 10. Just because it's pretty fucking corny. And there's a lot of, like, dumb shit to it. But it's still a good time. Uh, you don't need to have an Oscar winning movie to have a good entertaining time. That's what B-horror's for, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's just so bad, it's good. Or, you know, it's so corny, it's good, so cheesy, whatever. Uh, it makes me laugh enough, so I like watching it. Plus, the sound effects they have when the spiders attack, all these way, 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 and creepy sounds, it's just... That enough is hilarious. So, um, they do have a Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars reference in the movie, which was great. And uh, they had a sequel planned that they announced... But it literally just, that was it. I don't know what happened, but yeah, they were going to, you know, bring the director back to write the, because he wrote it as well. You know, they're going to bring him back and everything to do that. But hey, whatever, you know, either way, six out of 10, I recommend it. Uh, Definitely, uh, definitely a good starter movie for kids, introducing them into horror. Um, It was one of the first movies I showed my uh, son when he was younger and, uh, yeah, he enjoyed the hell out of it. I mean, I saw it when I was a kid. It was great. It's, uh, you know, it doesn't have a high rating. There's not a lot of, like, real gore or violence to it, but it's it's a fun time. Check it out. Uh, from here, we're gonna move on to a definite cult classic, uh, Tremors from 1990. So, this movie's gonna get an 8 out of 10 from me just because amazing cast, amazing place in horror history, um... Also one of the earliest creature features I remember seeing as a kid. Uh, it just instantly stuck with me. I'm a huge Kevin Bacon fan. Um, and I I, I, I I like Michael Gross playing Bert, but I don't really like a lot of other stuff he does. Um, so either way, it's starring... Well, it was directed by Ron Underwood. Uh, it's starring Kevin Bacon as Val. Uh, Fred Ward as Earl. And Michael Gross as Bert Gummer. Uh, Kevin Bacon, notably from Footloose, Hollow Man, The Following, and The Darkness. Uh, Fred Ward from Naked Gun, 33 and a Half. Reno Williams, Joe Dirt, and 30 Minutes or Less. Michael Gross, uh, Family Ties, Cool Kids Camp, Suits, and Meant to Be. See, most of the crap, like, I know Family Ties. I didn't know a lot of stuff Michael Gross was in. He's in a lot of wholesome shit, which you would not expect from Burt Gummer. And, like, he actually started shooting... Uh, the first one his first day of shooting was literally one day after the last episode of Family Ties so that just like that's a big jump but I mean I, I, I respect actors that can make that hop around um, I mean even though he's just Burt Gummer to me whatever you know so uh, the movie is about this tiny little town um, in the middle of the desert and um, real secluded takes like you know half a day to drive like hours to drive to the next town it's surrounded by like mountains and hills and it's basically just this one street town in the middle of asshole nowhere um so uh Kevin Bacon's character Val and Fred Ward's character Earl are these two little handy men that are basically just decided they're sick of this crap they're gonna move out of town go into the you know, nearest like actual city, and just kind of go from there. You know, uh, so all this is delayed as people start dying, and they eventually find out that it's these giant prehistoric um, worms. I guess, yeah, they're they they're sightless. They um, catch their prey by sound, you know, vibrations on the ground and everything. They can move really fast. Uh, they got these big giant like. Beak things that open up And these weird like Little tentacle snake tongues That come out to like Grab prey and pull it in um, As the movies progress You find out that there's more stages of them uh, Including the streakers The ass blasters uh, They uh, did a fourth movie Where it was back in like the 1800s That was garbage uh, But they brought it back with uh, Five and six recently that uh, I liked The fifth one was uh tremors in africa which was cool because they were larger they were meaner the tongue things could detach and move on their own from the mouth and they also like great whites in africa they could jump into the air and do like dive bombs which that was cool then they followed it up with one where they're in like antarctica wasn't that as great got Jamie Kennedy in them now as Burt's son which I don't mind uh they got a new one coming out called like Isle of Tremors that's them on like the Galapagos Islands or something uh so I'm looking forward to that I I do enjoy the series a lot I watch most of it even the crappy TV show from the early 2000s they had one season um so they only really had two sets well two interior sets on it because they had the little town scene but most of it was you know just them in the desert uh getting chased by these or running from them so they had Bert's house in the basement and um the little Chen's store there uh so I mean production costs were kind of low well that's all we really got to build um I know Kevin Bacon said that it was the funnest time he ever had filming a movie and uh also something he kind of really regretted when it first came out and didn't get the reception he thought he's like what am i doing making this movie about giant worms underground uh but he changed his tune when it became a cult classic he even uh was going to be in a reboot tv series that never ended up happening uh you can go see a little uh teaser trailer for it um online which was great and i'm sad it didn't get picked up and i hope maybe it eventually does amazon do something um, so, uh, also notably that this was, uh, Reba McIntyre's first film. Uh, she played, uh, Burt Gummer's wife. Um, and, uh, this is one that I'm really glad that they decided to, to, to drop as an idea, but they were originally going to have the Graboids be able to perfectly mimic sounds to help lure and play, uh, pray more easily even further. But uh they ended up dropping that when they realized that, man, we're giving these things way too many special powers. Uh, you know, they can travel underground, they can hunt by sound, they got the tent come on. Uh that would have just been too much. Too too much. Also kind of ripping off the movie mimic. Um so Tremors gets a eight out of ten from me just because it is a little corny and there definitely could have been uh, you know, a little more to it. But um the practical effects are amazing. Uh, it's got a great cast all around, even though the even besides the people that I mentioned. Um, so going down the further creature hole, on to our next fun flick, which is going to be *The Fly* from 1986, a remake of the Vincent Price film, which gets a nine out of ten from me, starring Jeff Goldblum as Dr. Steve Brundle, Gina Davis as Veronica, and John Getz as Borans, Borans. Uh, Jeff Goldblum, notably from Hotel Artemis, Mordecai, Man of the Year, and King of the Hill. Uh, Gina Davis from Beetlejuice, Thelma and Louise, Glow on Netflix, and Stuart Little. And uh, Getz from Zodiac, The Social Network, Doom Patrol, and American Horror Story 1984, its most recent season. So, um, basically the movie is... uh, Dr. Steve Brundle, Steve Goldblum's character, or Jeff Goldblum's character, is trying to invent teleportation. He's got these two pods that he has uh, that when he eventually tests them uh, to transfer himself from one pod to the other pod, um, a fly goes in with him. And when he gets transferred, the machine uh, more easily, because it can't recognize the two things merges them together which at first he thinks is amazing and starts studying himself, filming it and then eventually he just starts degrading more and more into a freakish monster Uh, the movie was directed by David Cronenberg, dropped the name earlier told you we'd get to it Uh, David Cronenberg is most notably famous for the type of like creatures that he uses in his films which are just like blobbed together freakish amalgamations of ungodly horrificness Um, they actually mentioned it in uh, Rick and Morty when they went to the uh, when uh, Rick accidentally turned everybody into when he was trying to create a love potion for Morty to get Jessica to like him and then everybody started like obsessing over Morty that smelled it and then he turned them into like praying mantis creatures and then accidentally turned them into Cronenberg monsters so boom there's a reference you might not have known um so upon the release of the film jeff goldblum wrote a letter to vincent price saying uh i hope that you like it as much as i liked yours uh vincent price being touched penned a letter back saying that um it was absolutely wonderful up until a point and then it was a little too much which i totally know where he's talking about that towards the end of the movie but either way um I thought it really did stay true to the original uh vincent price version obviously it was way more fucked up um and horrific but um hey you know we all got to uh evolve eventually and you know remakes evolve um fun unknown fact uh mel brooks Yes, comedic mastermind Mel Brooks was a secret producer on the film. I say secret because he decided to be unlisted because he felt that if his name was attached to it, people would not take it as seriously as it should have been took because that's not what Mel Brooks usually did. Um, This is a fact that I just recently learned, and it just makes me love the movie even better because I am a huge Mel Brooks fan. Um, I'm also a fan of his son Max Brooks. He writes some really fun shit about zombies, uh, he wrote the book World War Z which uh, Brad Pitt fucking butchered as a movie. Uh, it's a fun time but just read the book. Um, kind of glad uh, that the sequel on that fizzled out because God what a ruined ending. But um so uh the wonderful special effects uh, was a pretty big toll on Jeff Goldblum because at most times during the movie he wore up to five pounds Of makeup, just on his, like, face prosthetic makeup uh, during the part of the film where he's slowly transforming into the fly, which is just ungodly disgusting. It's like he starts finding weird little hair fibers on himself that he tries to pick out, but he can't. And uh, they're, you know, sensitive, you know, the little fly, little feelers that are all over themselves that helps him cling to stuff. And then uh, as he eventually starts losing his hair and ripping off parts of his skin, revealing, like the nasty boiliness of, like, his just, ugh, God. I think the nastiest part of the film is um, when he is filming himself uh, throw up on food like flies do to um, uh, melt down and congeal and break down their food and then slurp it up as just one big, like, bowl of... uh, Sorry, I gagged a little bit just thinking about that. It's just nasty. It just looks like asshole phlegm. Um, (laughs) so that's no fun there. Um, now I don't think that there will ever see the light of the day, but there was a cut scene that involved him accidentally creating this weird cat monkey hybrid that attacks him. And he beat to death, uh, with a lead pipe. Um, they ended up cutting that after test screenings. um, I mean, hell, just hearing the description of it, just that's fucked. Um, so The Fly gets a 9 out of 10 from me because it is just glorious. Uh, they did an amazing job with it. Jeff Goldblum is a tremendous actor. Gina Davis, tremendous actor. Um, I absolutely love a lot of stuff she's in. She's very talented. Um, so from there, we're going to move on to Splinter from 2008. Uh, directed by Toby Wilkins. Uh, starring Shay Wiggum as Dennis. Uh, Wiggum, yeah. Uh, Jill Wagner as Polly. And Paulo C- Costanzo as Seth. Uh, the movie is basically this couple gets hijacked. And um, I forget exactly how. Oh, they like uh, run over some animal or something. And this weird like parasitic thing like attaches to their car and like follows them. And like... They ended up getting uh, trapped in a gas station because of it. Because it, like, um, basically takes people over and uh, starts, like, breaking out these weird, like, blood bone splinter things all over them as it starts to degrade their body and just, like, parasitically suck everything out and just lets them do their bidding, regardless of how messed up they are. Um, The movie, surprisingly, was done with completely uh, practical effects for the creature and anytime that a movie goes and does practical effects for a creature feature, I will ultimately be more inclined to go see it than CGI. Not saying that CGI is terrible or anything, but it just isn't I don't think it brings the same aspect, which is why I was glad that once CGI got huge and like they started doing like the Jurassic World movies, I was glad that there was still some practical stuff that they kept in. Um, even in the originals, if you saw um, a dinosaur, like a full-body shot of a dinosaur in the original Jurassic Park CGI, anytime they showed part of a dinosaur, that was a practical effect. So I like that they could uh, blend it together because they, you know, you pretty much if you have that close-up shot of something like that, it's just not gonna be the same if it's not a practical effect. Um, so that's a big win in my book. Um, Pretty much the entire movie for Splinter uh, is a gas station set that they ended up having to actually build for the entire film because it just gets trashed, burned, fucked up, shot up, all that good stuff. Um, Sean Wiggum, who plays Dennis, um, ad-libbed most of his lines, which, uh, I mean, he did a great job in the film, and I mean, his lines weren't terrible. So, I mean, bravo to him. Uh, I don't know if they intended that, or if just, like, I'm not too sure why it was mostly ad lib but good job. Um, it only took them 22 days to film it, so maybe that was why. Uh, I think it was based off of a short story. Um, although I could have been reading that from one of my other movies I looked up today and just kind of blended that together. Um... So, uh, oh, also if you want to check out the people in the movie, uh, you know, the movie itself, uh, Sean Wiggum was from the ungodly shitty new live action Death Note, uh, American Hustle, the Perry Mason reboot, and most recently Joker, uh, Jill Wagner from Teen Wolf, Stargate Atlantis, Braven, and Supernovas, uh, Paul Costanzo from Roadship, Royal Pains, Puff Puff Pass, and 40 Days, 40 Nights, um, so this was a uh, this was one that I really hadn't seen when I was younger that my wife ended up showing me. Uh, we were on some kind of I think uh, free trial for something or it was on one of our streaming services, but we were flipping through trying to find something to watch, and she suggested it. I, we watched the trailer, and I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's watch that." Um, but it just did a really, really good job, and it really stuck with me because of how. Um, Kind of weird and different it was. I mean, it still played off some of the same tropes, but the way that they went about it and did it um, was really freaking awesome. Uh, I give this movie a 7 out of 10 um, because uh, while there's a lot of great stuff about it, there was a couple uh, things that could have been a little bit better. Um, I will kind of reserve the right for you to think about that yourself. So give it a shot. Splinter from 2008 uh it's definitely worth it uh just kind of quick little pause here guys so i can refresh the uh instrument here water water everywhere and i'm fucking drinking it all um okay so next in line which might be my last because i noticed that we're getting a little short on time uh, so real quick if I don't get to them the last two that are going to be on my list are Anaconda from 1997 and Lake Placid from 99 um, both amazing movies both definitely uh, defining in shark and alligator movies um, but either way going to get on to what's probably my last one uh, is going to be Little Shop of Horrors the remake from 1986 directed by Frank Oz Starring Rick Moranis as Seymour, notably from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Spaceballs, Brother Bear, and Big Bully. Ellen Green, who played Audrey, notably from Heroes, Pushing Daisies, The Cooler, and Alex in Wonder. And Steve Martin as Dr. Oren Scavello, DDS. Doctor. From The Jerk, Bowfinger, Pink Panther, Cheaper by the Dozen, and just a million and a half other godly comedy movies. Steve Martin is, uh, big up there on my list of comedic actors that I'm a fan of. I've uh, been watching him my whole life, so I mean, it was a really good draw. This is a movie I've definitely liked since I was a kid. Um, I'm gonna give this one a 7.5 out of 10. Uh, not for real any in particular reason, but, um, that's just what I feel it deserves, you know? It's a great movie, but it's not amazing. Uh, it's, you know, really one of my favorite Rick Moranis movies. But, um, yeah, you know. So, um, the, man, I wish that I was alive for this one. So, during the promotion, they actually had um, Audrey 2, the giant plant, get interviewed on a lot of stuff. And even in one interview, he actually ended up eating, or, yeah, the, uh, the interviewee, or the interviewer they were the interviewee which I mean I gotta try to look that up on YouTube or something and see if there was a you know some kind of remnant of that lurking around since I'm lazy if anybody's watching if you want to link it in go right ahead help me out a little bit um, so Mean Green Mother from Outer Space one of the uh, most iconic songs from the film was actually one of the when it was the first Oscar nominated song with profanity uh, so there's a great big moment um now, I have the special edition of the movie where I um, generally I generally like to watch that because I prefer the ending of that one. There's an alternate ending to it where... Uh, oh, yeah. So, real quick, if you're not familiar with the uh, premise of the movie, if you've been living under a rock or don't have taste, Seymour, um, Krellborn, uh, he works at this little crappy plant store in Skid Row, you know, the shit part of town... Uh, they got a big song about it Um, and he works uh, for uh, this real just jerk and he works with uh, Ellen Green's character uh, Audrey Uh, so one day he finds uh, he's out shopping and there's this solar eclipse and this like flash of light and then all of a sudden at this little plant shop he goes to he sees this weird little Venus flytrap looking thing you know takes it back and uh They ended up, you know, putting it out in the window And people are just amazed by it It Starts bringing all this business And his life just becomes, you know, great Starts getting everything he wants But then eventually he realizes that the plant uh, Will only grow if he starts feeding it blood So he starts feeding little drops from his fingers And uh, that's when the plant eventually starts getting like uh, You know, almost the size of like a human And they have it in the corner And it keeps growing and growing And he starts, you know feeding people to it (laughs) like uh his crush audrey's uh shitty little man dr Orin, uh who's uh just a complete abusive asshole rides a bike uh steve martin dyed his hair black for it it's insane uh he's addicted to laughing gas in the movie which really added a fun aspect to the character because he'd have like a little like tank of it and he just like and just <laughs> <coughs> 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 can't wait for this allergy season to end the end of summer is always brutal on me so everything's just completely dried out the whole sinus system is fucked alright so um, this is a double fact right here so one of my favorite scenes in the movie is Bill Murray's cameo um, where he is a patient uh, at the dentist office. Um, so, going into that, when they first show the dentist office, it was supposed to look a lot more grungy and gritty and have like uh, blood stains around and just like nasty stuff everywhere. But um, when they showed it to test audiences, it didn't test well and was a little too disgusting. So, they went back, cleaned it up a little bit, reshot it, and. Um, you know, go from there. Um, Bill Murray's character, you know, the patient, had a few lines for when he was sitting in the uh, waiting room uh, that he kind of, you know, went off of because Bill Murray is just a comedy improv god. Um, but when he was actually in the chair, all that was scripted was um, painful noises or something like that. So all the weird stuff he said, oh, candy bar, oh, can't, all that crazy shit, all just classic Bill Murray just ad lib on the spot um do to do let me just check some of this stuff off so i don't keep ranting the same things um so uh yeah we'll get into this eventually in another episode but steve is big on musicals uh you know we'll probably touch on you know some rocky horror and some shit like that you know who knows who knows it's fun i don't know if it's just like uh Ingrained in me from every Like sitcom ever Uh, Cause I feel if there's an animated sitcom That exists it needs to have musical numbers I'm not exactly sure why That just started with the Simpsons And just carried over to everybody else But like you know So I mean if it's a comedy And it's a musical like Shit it's just a live action fucking sitcom To me at that point so I mean Plus it's fun all the musical numbers Are in this they're just completely great you know, Steve Martin's is one of my favorite. Him singing about, you know, how he's a dentist. Cause I'm your dentist. I can't sing. Fuck off. Um, so uh, we're gonna be wrapping up this episode now because I'm running out of time. And uh, Anaconda Lake Placid, last two wonderful ones on my list. Um, I highly recommend them both. Uh, I don't really recommend any of the Lake Placid sequels or the Anaconda sequel as they're directed. You know, direct dvd bullshit, and it's just garbage. Uh, some of the Lake Placid ones are fun because uh, Robert England guest peer, uh, premieres in them. I a lot of cameos. You know, whatever. But uh, anyway, so uh, special thanks to Pyre and Hashtag Razor for sponsoring this episode and our entire podcast. Uh, for more from Cinephile Saturday and NerdCon 1, go to www.nerdcon1.com eye contact. This is it for Cinephile Saturdays, guys. I will see you next week with another amazing episode of me talking shit on movies! I got a bad feeling about this. It wasn't funny, man. What have we done? What are you looking at, butthead? I want to get some coffee. Game on, old